0: Kelly hey guys how are you doing today we're doing great how are you doing Kelly
1: doing good can't complain weather's holding up
0: I know right we always give weather updates I feel like that's gonna become that's gonna become like a staple of the show it's a nice fall day here in New England we've had a a warm fall day
1: surprising and it can be a rarity
0: too so I feel like we need those updates exactly right we give everybody a, a little weather update So welcome to our first Star Wars content episode. As I said, today we're talking about The Mandalorian. And if we're talking about Star Wars, we're not alone. We have two guests in the house today. It's their first time making an appearance on It's a Fan's World. So we're here to welcome our first guest, Dave.
2: How's it going, Maria and Kelly?
0: Very well. Doing great. We're happy to have you. It's good to be on the show. So Dave is one of our very good friends, and you might know him from another podcast that I do, and he is one of my Jedi Masters. I was one of his Padawans. I have, I'm have, i fortunate enough to have two Jedi Masters, so Dave was my Jedi Master, I was his apprentice, but I have another Master. We have our next guest, Derek.
3: Hello, everyone. How you doing?
0: You're doing great. We're happy to have have ha, excuse me. We are happy to have you as well. And like I said, I was your padawan too. True. I that. joined along for that ride, so I have to say you, thanks you, to you, you as did. well. Yeah, someone else had to work that day, or they would have been there too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, but yes. Yeah, so as I said, we're here for our first Star Wars content episode. We're here to talk all about the Mandalorian. For those of yeah. you that know The Mandalorian, it is a show on Disney Plus, which this was one of the first shows that was out when Disney Plus aired on launch day. I think the I think the four of us remember that pretty well from when uh, Disney Plus launched. We were actually all together when we logged on for the first time.
2: We, we, we were. I remember us sitting in that conference room getting ready for our movie night with our organization, and I remember Derek... Coming into the office, like, yo, bro, you gotta check this, <laughs> check this show out. And I would, I'm gonna be honest, I was really hesitant in watching that show because it's Mandalorians, and I remember that from like, when I was a kid. And I didn't know how Disney was gonna do it, and I was pleasantly surprised.
3: Well, uh, personally, I think that anything that is directed by, uh, well, even helped out by Dave Filoni. It, it it can't go wrong,
2: and I I remember that. I mean, Dave has been called the the apprentice of George Lucas, and it it really it really shows. And uh, I'm really happy he him and John are are both working this entire uh, project from start to finish.
1: I definitely don't think it could have ha- have exceed- succeeded as it did if it didn't have so many people who just genuinely. Love Star Wars and just like had such a huge knowledge of it, it just wouldn't have been the same.
0: I agree. I know, um, John, when he was working on The Lion King, he actually, I forgot who they said he pitched the idea to, but he was talking to somebody who put him in touch with Dave Filoni, and the two of them kind of brainstormed together, and he would stay late. After working on the Lion King, he would stay late and work on this like secret project for the longest time. That ended up being the Mandalorian. So this is like their brainchild.
2: Well, well, but not only that. I mean, he's called. They're both called the disciples of George Lucas. Like George Lucas approved of uh, Dave Filoni uh, and John John's John, right? Like I mean, he he has this he has this name now. So the fact that you know, you have the disciples of George, like, heralding or championing this project is extraordinary for I, I think the entire community.
0: He'll always be Happy Hogan to me. <laughs> what can I say? I was that's that's like how I always remember him. But uh, I actually, when this show came out, I wasn't even a Star Wars fan yet. So I remember the three of you, especially, being really excited about this, and I. I I was there for all the other Disney plus content at this point. It wasn't until I became a star Wars fan that I was like, Oh, I have to watch this, but I converted her. Yes. But I actually remember uh, that same conference room, the first or the second episode, you guys were watching it in the conference room and I was down the hall in another conference room trying to do work. And that, Whenever you were watching it on the television the computer was so loud there was only one other professor on that floor and I, the the whole the whole department just radiated with the sounds coming from that <laughs> conference room
3: good times <laughs> uh,
2: I, yeah. i'm just glad that that professor um, or that person uh, liked this enough to let that happen. <laughs>
0: agreed, agreed. Because that could have gone a very different way. All right. So yes. So, um, yeah. So, like I said, it was one of the first pieces of content to not only be advertised on Disney Plus. It appeared on launch day for Disney Plus, and again like i said the hype around that was huge from the time it launched it was one of the most successful shows of the launch of disney plus it was so successful that they started releasing episodes early Uh, Season two has been announced and it comes out October 30th of 2020, which is later this month, which it's no coincidence why this is our October episode, also being our first Star Wars episode. The planets aligned and the force was strong. So we decided, yeah, yeah, you see what I did there? So (laughs) we we decided to have the Mandalorian as our first uh, Star Wars episode for those reasons. So I'm going to jump right in to the directors, the writers, and the cast. Um, So directors were Dave Filoni. He directed three episodes. Deborah Chow directed two episodes. I apologize to this individual, but I'm going to butcher their last name. It is Rick Fam... Anybody want to help me out here? Kamuyiwa. Kamuyiwa? Yeah. Yeah. And then... Bryce Dallas Howard, who I know from Jurassic Park other than this. Uh, she directed one episode. Kelly, pronounce this name for me, please. Taika Watiti, I believe it is. Yep. He directed one episode, and he also plays IG-11. And then John Favreau directed one episode and also gets the credit on IMDb for being the creator. Uh, but... The writers were a lot of the same directors, but uh, George Lucas is also mentioned in the writing.
2: Okay. So what makes this show really unique is that each director brings something to the table. And they were mentioning this in the documentary. Um, I think it's like the second episode of it. So like you have some directors who are more horror themed. So in that shows in their episodes, like episode six, The Prisoner, uh, when we start talking about that and in case you haven't figured it out, we're going to spoil a lot of things in, in this, so if you haven't watched The Mandalorian, yes. go Once check we get it out to before a season point, 2 we'll comes out. You know, but and after that, it's going to be open season on spoilers. spoilers. Um, but, um, but so every episode's different and it reflects the style of that director. And even if that director was not working on that episode they were there coaching the other cast members to do certain things because, besides their directing capability, they have different roles and niches they fit. So, even though they weren't always working on every episode together, they were helping guide the um the Also, you can check out in their that
1: um, sort of documentary behind really the neat. scenes on Disney Plus. I believe it is called The Gallery and The Mandalorian. It should be like right in the same section but yeah definitely check it out it gives a full behind-the-scenes look of how they went about this project as well as like all the technical aspects and how they made stuff like the child
0: it looks really good it was actually on my watch list and because of life I haven't had a chance to watch it yet but uh, all my other friends here who are on this episode have watched it so they're gonna they're gonna do the heavy lifting for me today but, yeah, it's, it looks like a really great um, documentary, and I love behind-the-scenes documentaries and stuff like that. But to jump on something that Dave said, I agree. I think that's one of the great things about a series like this where you have a bunch of directors coming together and influencing their own episodes but also working together with the directors to influence the episode that they might not be working on. I think that helps keep it fresh and authentic and helps it from getting stale. One thing that was add, one. Oh, sorry. sorry, no, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, because that was one thing I'm always afraid of with series, especially once they get into like multiple seasons, is that they start repeating similar storylines or kind of getting too far away from the original intent of the show or the content. So I feel like something like this with multiple directors and writers helps them stay on their toes, for lack of a better word. But go ahead, Kelly, I apologize.
1: No, absolutely, I agree with it. Um, one thing too, um, they mentioned the documentary is they brought the directors in so much er- earlier than they would normally in a project. Like I think they were there for all this pre-viz stuff too, and just the fact that they were involved from almost like the first, like just from the beginning, I think also helped a lot with the making of this project.
0: You can see it. You can see it in the content and the material that is produced. Because this show, I don't, I don't think. Anything with Star Wars, because there's such a big fan base, it always does well. But this took the Star Wars fandom by storm because I know um, we won't get into it here, but I know some of the content that Star Wars and Disney have produced together has been debated and contested in the Star Wars community. So I, I think everybody was really surprised with this show. So the budget for the show was $100 which, you know, petty cash, especially (laughs) for a Disney project. But, uh, Kelly, I think you had brought it up somewhere that that's huge for a TV show. Oh,
1: absolutely, especially, like, per episode and considering the length of the episodes weren't that long compared to, you know, other things you'd see,
0: but definitely. Yeah, the episodes are only 40 minutes. But if you look (laughs) at everything that happens in the 40 minutes, you can see where the money was spent between, you know, writing, costumes, set design, props. Everything just looks like something that would be produced in a movie. And they really took their time in developing this and materializing it. And I I think it adds to the show's success and popularity. Uh, uh, so now we're going to jump into the cast. This show has a big cast we are not going to talk about everybody because if we did we'd be here till december so we're going to focus on just the main people uh the mando din jaren did jaren is played by Pedro Pascal, who, if you've seen uh, Kingsman, uh, the second one, he was Agent Whiskey. Uh, If you're a Game of Thrones fan, he was uh, in Game of Thrones, and his character escapes me. I know, Kelly. There we go, the Viper. Thank you. Wow, Derek, I was expecting Kelly to come in. Derek's got it. He's on point. He's on point. He's on point. Derek's (laughs) always on point. Both of my guests are. That's why they're here. Uh, yes, so Game of Thrones fans and Kingsman fans will know him from there. Um, Carl Weathers plays Grief Carga, who, for those of you who are like, huh, he was the gentleman who ran the guild. Uh, we have Gina Carano, who was Cara Dune. And then, not to jump over her, but we have Giancarlo Esposito, as Moth Gideon. When I saw him come out as Moth Gideon, I was very excited. I did not know he was in this show. And when I saw him and you when you see him, not to spoil it, but spoiler, when you see him and you you figure out he's the big daddy, I was very happy. I think
1: from this point on guys, it's gonna be spoilers to so just know from here on Yeah, yeah, from here done. on
0: you're done. <laughs> when
2: you go from fried chicken I, and honestly i, I could
3: not see him in any other thing than you know breaking bad so just having having him have this like very serious role like this that wasn't that serious drug lord role it was very it it was it took a lot to get used to <laughs>
0: See, I've seen him in a lot of things that he's done for Disney recently. One of the most recent things other than Breaking Bad that I've seen him do, I know in the, was it the 2015 or 2016 remake of The Jungle Book, he did the voice of Akela, And uh, other than Breaking Bad, that came to my mind when I thought of him. But I know he's done some other voice work for Disney too. But see, I thought he sold – like as soon as I saw him right away – I was like, oh, yes, like I can totally picture him in this role. Gave off the villain vibes. And then we have Werner. Werner
1: Herzog,
0: I think. Thank you. Yep. He okay. played the client, uh, which for the longest time, I thought the client was going to be the big baddie until, you know, we get that reveal. But for a good portion of the show, the client really is the person who is, is the fake out bad guy.
2: But he's also, like, the bridge between, like, he's what the old empire is. And I feel like he's meant to, like, when they put him in there, he's meant to showcase, like, what people think the empire has become until you get Moth Gideon. And then it's like, no, the empire is still this big baddie. Like, the Mo- like the client's just this low, like, bureaucratic guy. And then here's the Moth. Agreed.
0: And then we have uh, Nick Nolte, which I did not recognize that that was neither him. did I. But neither you have I. Nick Nolte as Queel. Um Thank you, Queel. I I can never it doesn't look the way it's spelled, and I'm like, well, how do I do this? But yes, Queel. And I I loved that character when he died. I was really sad. I saw it coming, but you know how I am. I'm super sentimental, and I I, I was very sad. I love that he reprogrammed IG-11. I'm sorry to jump over you, Dave, but I, I just, I loved the character before that, and then when he did that, I loved him even more.
2: I honestly thought he was going to be one of the last ones standing. I did not think, uh, I did not think the ending play out the way it was going to. I thought that he was gonna hang around for at least one more season. say
1: I saw him as the mentor type and I connected to him very quickly. So I immediately assumed he was gonna die by the end of the season. Because- <laughs> I,
2: I don't know, like, Uganauts, like, they're they're very, rel- um, very resilient. So I didn't think that was gonna be how that turned out. And, uh it turned out very different i
3: mean they they lasted through many many years of slavery and you know hey he found See, he found why. the I end Adam,
1: that's why i thought he was gonna die because like he they repeated that multiple times he's like you know i'm not doing this for payment i will do it to help the child because you know i worked my way and i i'm you know I worked to not be a slave anymore I don't want to go back to that type of work and just because they kept like repeating it I was like oh yeah he's not gonna I love him he's not gonna make it just <laughs> because of that because they put um. that little bit of hope in there
0: Kelly and I have a joke that if we get attached to somebody that usually is a good indicator that they're gonna die <laughs> yep yeah <laughs> yeah I have spoken I want a shirt that says. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure it's coming. I'm sure it's coming. Between this is the way, and uh, I have spoken. I've I've seen on uh, not on official merchandise, but I've seen uh, black market and under the table merchandise with the both those sayings. I need it. And then you have the child who is is a character in his own right. And he is a puppet formed by various puppet actors and performers. And the child, I think is what made everybody explode.
3: So, uh, I, I have seen something that really threw me about this because there was a chance that, um, so they were going for the first scene where they were going to show him, um, But not like it wouldn't be chronologically the first scene. The first scene was going to be uh, when he gets traded off um, to the uh, the client, Um, and they were talking to Werner, and they were like, "Hey, we're not sure how puppets are going to work. We're not sure how well this is going to go over. We're thinking about just cutting it and doing live CG." Werner Herzog. Uh, is quoted to say, you are cowards, leave it.
0: Yes, I love that. That is why
3: they kept the puppet, which it was, it it was perfect. There was no need for CG, but there was that fear of, oh, we tried using puppets before and it didn't come out as we wanted it. So do we keep that? Do we... You know, go CG over it. He told them leave it, and I I agree that it that was the play.
2: Hundred percent. That's that's what made. That's what made. I think the show the way the way it is. I mean, no, it's the little puppet. Like, there's something more real to the child with that puppet than CGI. I mean, CGI. You even though there's not a front, there's still something like artificial about it. Whereas a puppet. I can see. it. I can see it move its little hand. I can see it drink its little tea. Like I can, I can see that. So I, don't I always.
0: I, I was gonna say I always. I mean, this is a little off topic, but I always use the example of Jurassic Park. The original Jurassic Parks used a lot of puppets and animatronics and. I mean, those dinosaurs just looked so much realer than some of the CGI ones that we have now. Like the CGI ones to me are not scary at all. But like in 1994, I mean, granted, I was four. So that could have been that too. But even now when I watch it, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I can see getting scared at this puppet animatronic where when I watch the newer ones, I'm like, I'm not scared at all of that because it's clearly not even there. So yes, I agree. I think the tangibility and the relatability of the puppet helped it, uh, helped its overall success and cuteness.
1: And the behind the scenes on the documentary too, it just, the actors, I think it definitely helps the actors with their job, having something tangible like that. And I think they they were talking about it. It was um, Pe- Pe- Pedro, sorry, excuse me. I can't talk for a minute. Um, it was Mando and Kara. And it's just like the way they handle it, like they gently pick up the little child and gently place him down. And it's just, it works so well.
0: Uh, So as we said, uh, oh, that's where it was. I was looking for the date in my nose. I put the date down lower. I wanted to find the date that Disney Plus and The Mandalorian debuted. Uh, It debuted November 12, 2019. (laughs) That was that date. Uh from here on out, this sh- episode is gonna work a little differently. Normally, after we introduce the cast and the writers, uh, we jump into the plot. Uh, we are going to take episodes one by one. There's eight episodes in the series. We are not gonna go heavy in depth into each episode because, like I said, we'll be here for till Christmas. Um So we're going to kind of gloss over, talk about the highlights, talk about the things that stood out to us, the character relationships. And like I said, spoilers from here on out. It is open season. If you haven't watched the show yet, be forewarned. Uh, So we'll start off by talking about world lore. And I'm going to stop talking and let my co-hosts and guests take over when it comes to world lore, because I am still very much a Padawan.
1: Take it away, guys, because I bow... While I have more knowledge, I bow down to the Jedi Masters. Go for it. Like, take... Lead us off.
3: I mean, it really no, depends... Uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. Uh, it really depends on what, um, what you're looking at, because... Uh, as of right now a lot of mandalorian lore is up in the air um because there is a lot that was xnade with legends um and the old republic stuff uh as of right now there's a lot that is still unknown about this world's mandalorians now um if you're talking legends um they've mostly been a warrior culture going on holy crusades against, you know, different planets, different systems. Um, they've, you know, founded a culture based on a warrior society and thus lived by a code. Very similar to like samurai set, uh, type of stuff. Um, but it really just depends on which uh stretch of lore which uh books you read wh- there, there's a lot of different uh interpretations that uh have been talked about in the recent years after Disney acquired Star Wars that uh we're not sure how far the lore goes back or if it goes back the same way anymore
2: I'm, I I mean right. so let I
0: say so... hang on, before you before you go Dave I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff at you guys and then I'll let you take it from there I'll let you Pick it up, Dave. So, uh, we do know that Mandalore is an outer rim planet. Uh, during the Old Republic, uh, Mandalore Mandalorians raided the Jedi Temple. Uh, they battled with the Jedi frequently, and I think Mando even makes a comment during uh, the show that the Jedi are longtime enemies of the Mandalorians. Uh, we do get a little bit of, if anybody has seen Star Wars, the Clone Wars series, um, that is also on Disney Plus. It's one of the best things in the world. Uh, they We get a little snapshot of Mandalore. Uh, you get to know Duchess Satine and Death Watch. Uh, Darth Maul at one point took over Mandalore and had Duchess Satine killed. Uh, Tara Vizsla was one of the first Mandalorian Jedis and is responsible for the Darksaber. And uh, this will come later in the show because we're going to talk about predictions for season two. But you have Sabine Wren from Star Wars Rebels, which is another animated series that uh, comes after the Clone Wars. Uh, she is from Clan Wren and she is a Mandalorian. She once held the Black Saber, but she get it gave it to Lady Bo-Katan at the end of the series, officially passing leadership to her. So now that I've thrown all that at you, go ahead, Dave. Well, I was
2: gonna say, so the Mandalorians—they—they very much have to challenge themselves to the very, very bitter end with their honor and their in their creed. So there's, so Mandalore is not a a race per se. It adopts anyone in. So there are Rodians who can be Mandalorians. There, anyone can be a Mandalorian, living by a certain set of honor codes, honor to. Family, your clan, and to Mandalore, uh, which Mandalore, depending on the Mandalore, takes on di- very different names. So, in the past, we've had Mandalore the Uniter, we've had uh, Mandalore the Great, we've had Mandalore the Blood Thirsty. So, we've had very many different Mandalorians throughout the time, but they've all been disputed. Now, the only way, at least in traditional Mandalore, Mandalorian war, is legend is who whatever mandalore holds the black saber is the un- de- undeniable legitimate ruler of all the clans. so that's the other thing so when we see the black saber which is held by the first mandalorian jedi who leaves the order to go back to mandalore to unite the clans under the banner of the black saber That's why that's so important. And when Darth Maul has it um, in the series, it's really, it gets dicey for the Mandalorians because they're following their honor tradition of whoever holds the saber, we follow them no matter what, if they're Mandalorian or not. And that becomes the debate, um, at least in the Clone Wars series and afterwards. Um,
0: even in the even in the Clone Wars series, at one point, that whole arc when we first meet the Mandalorians, it's because the Death Watch is holding the Black Saber, and at that time, Mandalore was under uh, the pacifist regime of Duchess Teen. and that's where that whole conflict came in for the show, because there were two competing powers.
2: So, and also, fun fact, the Dark Saber is not the only legitimate way of holding power, at least not the old like so traditionally the darksaber was not the only way to legitimately hold power. You had the Mandalorian helmet, which was introduced in legends. That's the other legitimate way. Because and spoilers for the legends and all that, Candorus um Candorus Ordo of the Ordo clan, he served with Revan after the Mandalorian Wars and fought beside Revan. And as a reward for royal service, Revan showed Candorus where the helmet was. And with the helmet in the armor, he became the legitimate Mandalore. And he's the first I think he's one of the first Mandalorian uniters introduced to the war. At least of the older public. So when when we talk about the Mandalorians, there's the Star Wars canon, which Dave, I really hope you look into this and you do the right. <laughs> Um, but when you listen to the old when when you look at the old war and legends, it's much it's very rich. It's very diverse, and it's very it it's it's awesome. It's beautiful, it's weird, it's great. And we have the new stuff where it's slowly kind of introducing that, but there's still that rich war that's still lost. so if and that was the other thing I want mandalorian to do right is introduce this the right way which i think it can and i think it's going to sorry my my rant for the day
0: no that's why we have you on here that's why we have you both on here because you two are are all knowledgeable master jedis um um, I just wanted to add something
1: real quick because I didn't know about this before I'd watched the show and I did a little research on it, but again, like there's so much up in the air on what's canon and what's not now. I don't think we can talk about the Mandalorian and the man like the planet Mandalore without talking about Besker Steel, which is mentioned throughout the show. And I didn't realize its significance and how just important it is. I know um the planet Mandalore and its moon. Um, they ended up becoming kind they had a lot of Besker mines because Besker steel is st- the strongest metal, I believe, stronger than Dura steel, which is what Darth Vader's um, you know, Outfit. What, is thank you. <laughs> what, what his get up is. Thank you. Um it's malleable and combined with different different alloys by the armorers of the tribes of Mandalorians, like they know how to work it in such a way that they can create this armor. And this armor, I believe, it can withstand um, lightsabers more so than any others. They make it lighter. They can also make weaponry out it and materials like wire. And it just—it's very important. And I didn't know of that before the show, so that was just an interesting little tidbit to get in there.
3: Yeah. Um,
0: so you. you oh, oh, <laughs> nope.
3: Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. You yeah, know, uh, Beskar was like. Uh, Uh, possibility that it was going to be left out for a while. Um, I'm very thankful that they actually said, yes, it's Beskar Steel. It's not just like, you know, some cool armor that they wear. No, it's Beskar Steel because that was a big part of of the lore. The culture. Yeah, and the the whole culture and everything. Um, Because that's where they settled down, like settled down officially, even though they're very nomadic uh, Mandalorians. So They never had real, like, homeworld until, like, a lot changed in their society, and they wanted to settle down. Um, But yeah, no, the Beskar Steel, very, very important in the lore.
0: There were a couple of Mandalorian civil wars, weren't there? Did that that lead to increased nomadic society, or did that decrease the nomadic society? It not, would not, to, not to give you a giant question.
2: So it, it, it would depend. So, for instance, uh, after the Mandalorian Wars, uh, Malachor Five is destroyed, which is the the planet or the moon of Malacor that they were using as their primary base. It was a very strategic place, place for them. After that destruction by the Jedi and the Republic, uh, the Mandal- Mandalorian clans were shattered morality-wise. So they travel from planet to planet as not clans, but as uh, mercenary groups working for various crime wars. So it depends on what happens. After a major defeat, um, during wartime, they scatter to anywhere, primarily the Outer Rim as as muscle for hire. But during wartime, they do centralize. So it depends on what context you're talking about.
0: Excellent. Thank you. And uh, to piggyback off of something, I think it was Dave. I'm pretty sure it was Dave who said it could have been Derek uh, to piggyback off it. I think they are going to jump into Mandalorian culture and a little bit more of world setup as the show progresses and in, progresses in, into season two. That's one of my predictions because a lot of time Mando talks about his past and he always says that they rescued him, they saved him. And then at the end, I think it's in the last episode, you get that flashback of how he was saved when his planet was under siege. He was saved by Mandalorians. And he explains that, you know, they took him in. They, you know, taught him the ways. So he himself is not a Mandalorian by birth, but he's a Mandalorian by creed. And I think... That is gonna I think they are going to go into world building and lore and setting up some stuff because I feel like a lot of times when he speaks and when he has flashbacks, that's a reoccurring theme in his flashbacks They're nodding their heads, Yes, you can't see them. <laughs> but yeah, they're they're nodding their heads. Yes. So I, I guess I said something fairly intelligent,
1: no, absolutely. I completely agree with you. and. Again, we'll get into like predictions later, so I don't want to touch too much upon it because I know we we still got to get through the episodes. But no, I I definitely agree with that.
0: So, yeah. So if we do not have anything else to add to Mandalorian world lore, we're going to jump right in. So the first episode, ironically enough, is called The Mandalorian. And uh, in this episode, we meet our character. And I'm I'm just going to start off by saying one at Entrance he has the
1: best entrances
0: of all time
3: the music alone um that 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 first like little uh bit of i believe uh flute that hits there it's it's just you're instantly drawn in as like almost kind of a western theme and it's like oh okay this is distinctly not the star wars that i'm used to but it's a star wars i'm interested in seeing
2: Agreed, but he had the like the appearance and the coolness of like Boba Fett, so I thought like it was Boba Fett at first, and then um, it pans out and it's the Mandalorian. Like, not, not to Tom lie, was Fett, I like like thought So like I said, I wasn't him.
0: into Star Wars at all, but Star Wars is so prevalent in our culture that I knew a real little little bit about it, and I knew who Boba Fett was. I thought the show was about Boba Fett because the armor is, if not the same, if it it's extremely close. So I'm like, Oh, I know Boba Fett's pretty popular. They're making a show about Boba Fett. That's so cool. And I'm actually really happy that it's not because I think this is way better. Definitely. Definitely. They did take a lot of aspects of like when Boba Fett was
1: introduced, like the, it was IG 88 before it was IG mm-hmm. 11, which they changed. So You know, I I see where you're going there. And then his armor before the upgrade.
3: If we're already Mm. talking about things with Boba Fett. Oh, oh boy. (laughs) Oh boy. I know Dave's going to love this part. Because episode one. Oh, it makes the holiday special completely canon. Oh boy, oh boy. We got Boba Fett's gun that he uses in the holiday special. We got the mention of the mythosaur. The giant dinosaur that Boba Fett rides in the special. And we got the mention of Life Day, the holiday that they celebrate that Leia sings a song at the end in a little musical number. It is beautiful, and I love it all.
2: Literally, literally episode one was just John Favreau saying, you will all love the holiday special, and I will make that so. And you do. You The first episode, you're like, I don't care if this is pulled from, like, if piece of this is pulled from Oh, the holiday special. I George Lucas has like gone, like gone on record. Thanks, George
3: Lucas has gone on record saying if he had the time and resources, he would track down every single copy of the holiday special and burn them personally. And John Favreau is saying, no, you cannot. I am showing everyone this. I am showing your receipts. I love it. Bye. <laughs>
2: I I, want I still haven't seen it. And it's just neither. Cool <laughs> i
1: admit, I've just
0: heard the horror stories. <laughs> yeah, I've heard
3: the horror stories. Oh, we're we're gonna America. watch it come this this uh, holiday.
0: <laughs> there we go, there we go. So quarantine uh, movie night, virtual quarantine movie, movie, night. movie Continuing on Let's
1: with episode go. one because I I love it. I love it, but we, we we gotta keep going. Um, so we we meet our main character. Um, we kind of get a feel for him. And, you know, right off the bat, he's a bounty hunter working for a guild. And you just, you know, he's collecting a bounty, bringing them back, and he gets into it. That's how this we is, start.
0: This is where we meet the uh, guild director. Uh, I'm sorry. I The name. Uh, I'm sorry. Grief Cargon. Grief Carga, Excuse me. Yes. That's where we meet the guild director. And he kind of explains through conversation that Mando is one of the best in the business. And he tells him that he's got a big bounty to get. And my, my curiosity was piqued at this point. So Mando, Mando, uh, he goes to get an armor upgrade, doesn't he? Before no. he goes out.
3: No. Well, no, no, because he gets paid first. So so this is
1: where he meets Werner's character. He he gets the bounty and it's very suspicious and sketchy looking. He enters Mm. the building and we meet him with his villainy vibes and he doesn't have all the information. All he has is the target's age Mm -hmm. and a rough idea of where he could be tracked down from. And as a down payment, he gets Beskar steel. And this is a very interesting thing, because again, I didn't know about this before the show. He brings it to, um, they have uh, Mandalorians in these tunnel systems under the city. I forget the correct term for it, but um, they have an armorer down there who is skilled in making these types of armor and weaponry. So she makes him a... cauldron. Thank you, she makes him a cauldron. (laughs) And that kind of leads leads us into it. You see him travel to this planet and he meets Nick Nolte's character, Quill. Quill. Quill, excuse me. Quill. And then he, you see it get into like a good old Western gunfight.
0: The IG-11. And he hates droids, but that droid was badass. That droid In was French. badass.
3: I, I will say that that gunfight Uh, in that little, what looked like little uh, villa, Um, it is the iconic Western gunfight. You have two two good guys against an outlaw gang, and even at the end, you have the good guy jumping on the Gatling gun and spraying everyone down. You have the exact iconic themes of a pure Western film.
2: So... Exactly. Mm, it probably
0: it cr- I and think
3: probably I even cr- said cr- they, cr- they
1: even said they they deliberately took from
0: movies like that. Yeah. You can see it in that scene. That scene was a great scene. That scene was when I was watching the first episode. That scene, uh, there's one other scene that happens right after, which we'll get to in a second. But I think that episode stole, I, that, episode, that scene stole the episode. But for me, when that little pod opened... And you just see the ears and you see the little green face come out, and his hand lowers the blanket. <laughs> I was like, no. I was like, I, 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 and I knew it. I knew it too, because at that point it had been out. I think by the time I had watched it, the show was already finished. So I was clearly aware of the Baby Yoda hype, but it was just the reveal, even though I knew it was coming, it was still a great reveal. I,
1: that scene was amazing for so many levels, especially because, like, you see him, like, he's ready to take down the target, but mm. then he realizes it's a child, and as IG-11 goes to get him, he's like, no, we can take him alive, and he's ready to yes. terminate him. I love how they just show his helmet. He doesn't turn. You just hear turn. the gunfire, and you see IG-11
0: fall. Yeah, and that I was, was like, fantastic. That's yes. another great Western trope where you just, like, you zero in on the hero, and you just, you see him off camera just nix the droid.
2: I feel like that seems what sealed the show.
0: Yeah, 100%. That, that seems
2: right there. I mean and and they they show it later, but at that moment you felt there was a connection between these two in one way or another. And they and they reveal that throughout the show the Mando's own past and how it connects to this to this child that he has in his arms. It's like mm-hmm. They're Perfect. both
0: orphans. Perfect, yeah. They're definitely connected, and and part of the Mandalorian creed is that he is, and this is something that's revealed in the last episode. Not to jump ahead, but part of the Mandalorian creed is that if he if he doesn't if he finds an orphan, he is it's foundling. yeah foundling or like he's the guardian because he ends up getting a new sigil. Clan of two. Yep. So they have episode, a clan. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they have a clan of two. Um, but yeah, uh, I was very invested right then and there because now not only did I have so many questions and I wanted to know what was going to happen with this bounty or this child, I was like, oh boy, I'm here. I'm ready for this.
1: Honestly, Uh, I had a moment where I thought that he was force sensitive because of that immediate connection and that ET moment. I had like a split second where I was like, oh shoot, like.
0: What's, yeah, going what's going on, <laughs> on here? And then that was my other question too, because which we will get to in later episodes. But I was like, is the child force sensitive? I was like, what? What's going on here? So, um, I
2: to to harken back to what Dan Master says. Everything there's me- metal Corians surrounding all of us. It's just the will of the person to use that.
0: I Like that. I love that. It gives me hope that if I lived in Star Wars, <laughs> universe, I'd be
3: force <laughs> sensitive.
0: If I didn't get my Hogwarts letter, damn it, I won. <laughs> That's it. If I didn't, I still haven't gotten my Hogwarts letter. And I'm just waiting to be found that I'm full-sensitive. You're
3: a little bit old for the uh, Jedi Academy right now. Bo- both of you? I can dream.
0: I can, I can still become a bounty hunter and, and help. I mean, I'm sure Han sure. Solo and Chewie in a third pilot. Hey,
1: Cal Testus we- we- never finished his training. And you know what? He became a Jedi Knight.
2: There you go. Facts. Listen, we gray Jedi take anyone of all ages, to say.
0: I have to say, if I was a Jedi, I'd probably be a gray Jedi. After reading the gray Jedi code, yeah. Yeah. But that's a different discussion for another day, because we Con- will have a Jedi episode.
1: Continuing on to episode one, we went over the highlights, but just to end it and to get into episode two, um, we find Mando, and you know, again, they have a little more Western scene going on where he's, like the duo, father and son duo, walking through the, the, the canyon-like scene on the way to the ship. And he has a little shootout. And already you, he's protecting the child. And the child is fully aware, looking at everything's going on, observing, and kind of like learning about his environment. And he finds that the Jawas have taken apart his ship. And he is now stranded and must seek the help of Queel to get everything right again.
0: Yes, so this is an episode two. The child—that's the name of the episode—and I was worried for the child during that gunfight. I knew more oh, yeah. about it, but I was like, "Oh boy!" Uh, but I loved all the child's expressions. Uh, and it's funny
1: because later on, he's on point, and he always makes sure to close.
0: <laughs> yes, the close. I love how that becomes a thing. Where, like, when when stuff gets going, and when the going gets rough, the little like pod just closes up. Um, those. I'm, we're trying to keep the show. G. those stinking Jawas! I hate Jawas, so annoying.
1: Oh, so highlights of episode two, my friends. Which few scenes did you want to go over for the recap?
3: I, I definitely have <laughs> to mention the Sandcrawler chase. Yes, him catching up to the Sandcrawler as it's just hauling. I I wasn't <laughs> see. I knew that Sandcrawlers moved. I didn't know they moved that fast. So him just, like, getting dragged along the side as Jawas are throwing things at him as he's climbing up. Oh, my gosh. That was (laughs) such a good scene. Genuinely. And the
0: Child is just watching from down below. Oh, yeah. Just like, right? Oh, good job. (laughs) His expressions are my favorite thing throughout the whole show. Yeah.
3: Um... I think after they make amends, uh he goes back to Queel and Queel says, "Hey, you know, I can talk to the we will will, you know, try to make amends here. Uh, the mudhorn fight.
0: Mm.
1: Definitely huge highlight, huge highlight.
3: Um that that fight alone because not only because of him fighting this beast, but also that's when we first get the first little hints of Oh. Oh wait a second. This isn't just a baby.
0: When when that happened, I was I I had one of those moments where I yelled at my television. <laughs> you guys know what those moments are like for me? Totally, totally. But not only that,
1: but um I didn't it didn't occur to me when I first started watching, but you know, Mando really like there's no knowledge of Jedi. There's no knowledge of force. And I didn't expect that. And especially in later episode, not to get there too early, but the armor explains, oh yeah, these sorcerers and all this and yes. that. And I didn't, I did, it didn't occur to me that he wouldn't know anything about it. Well, I,
0: I caught that. And, and someone who hangs out in the prequels quite a bit because the prequels, I, I, I love Star Wars prequels. I, we will talk about this another day, but I am a massive Obi-Wan Kenobi fan. Uh, and I, 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 because of that, I hang out in episodes two and three in the Clone Wars a lot. So when he said that and he described them as sorcerers in one episode, I was like, wow, I kind of took the same stance you did, Kelly, where I was like, wait, there, there's no knowledge of the Jedi?
3: Well, you, you have to understand that this is after the Empire. This is after Order 66 when they were branded all as traitors and purged. So the... Uh, Funnily enough, the uh, Imperial uh, Security Bureau, uh, who Moff Gideon is a part of, um, was pretty much designated to wipe out information about the Jedi, so as to divert, you know, future generations from thinking subversively. So they 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 pretty much purged a bunch of information as well. Makes sense.
2: But not only that, I mean, think of it. The Clone Wars and the prequels kind of tarnished the, the legacy of the Jedi. And for, for people that were kids during the war, um, their interpretation of Jedi is warriors. You know, they go out and they lead armies. And nothing else beforehand. So that plus the weight of information prior to that, um, the Jedi are myth. And they're warriors, their warriors that have disappeared from the galaxy, and the only time that we hear about them again is with Luke Skywalker.
0: Which is- I'm, I'm, gl- I'm going to say I'm glad you brought up Luke Skywalker because that was one of the things I wanted to bring up because I know the Mandalorian takes place in between episodes six and seven, and in episode seven we find out that uh, Luke Skywalker kind of tried to re. I don't want to say reinvent, reestablish the Jedi. And it didn't go well. So at this point, I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but at this point, um, yeah, I'm surprised that that Mando has no knowledge of the Jedi. And I agree with you, Dave, um, as someone who is a really big Clone Wars fan, the Jedi take on a completely different role during the Clone Wars. And it did, it did lead to their downfall and help tarnish them. And I'm going to stop talking about the Clone Wars because I will be here all day.
3: <sighs> uh, there was only one more thing I really wanted to mention for this episode. Um, I was really, really kind of surprised to find that this uh, the uh, sand planet that they were on for the, Missouri, uh, the majority of episode 2 uh, was not Tatooine, but uh, Arvala 7. Um, particularly mm. because there were Jawas. Um, now, I don't know if... This is a new Disney interpretation, or if um, there's new lore that they haven't said, because Jawas are normally like little scavengers. Um, they usually hide in little packs and, you know, scavenge. But they were usually in the lore regulated to Tatooine. So, you know, finding them off planet, it just kind of threw me for a little bit of a loop. I agree so, with
1: you.
2: I especially mean, like, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, it's like Ewoks, right? Ewoks were originally on Kashyyyk with the with the Wookiees, and then they were the the lower cut the the lower cousins that got relegated, that got thrown off Kashik to the four winds, and they ended up on Ender. So, I mean it it makes sense if those set that section of Jawas were outlaws from Katwin, and they settled on this plant because it replicates the same habitat and same sort of niches that they would be used to on on their original planet because it looks very similar. I'm guessing most things are. So.
0: Well, that would be really cool if we found out that Jawas were on more than one planet or if these Jawas were rogue Jawas, like you said, that were kicked off and separated because that would open up a lot about you know
3: Jawas and Jawa lore and
2: I'm just saying well,
3: spacefaring Jawas would be a whole new <laughs> part to this just imagine oh. like a space uh, sand crawler but with like jet engines on that's exactly what i'm <laughs> thinking doesn't... oh
1: gosh
2: so in the star wars universe the only thing to be intelligent was you had to be spacefaring Right, because because mm-hmm. um, Qui Gon makes a joke, in episode one, like, oh, even though you talk, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't. His it doesn't prove you're intelligent, or whatever. Um, yes. so and the same thing was with the Wookiees. The Wookiees were spacefaring, so technically they were intelligent beings. That that's why they got a voice in the Republic. So I mean, if Jawas could fair, you know. And now we're going to a Jawa talk. <laughs> See, hey, hey,
0: the, if the, the second he you... get a seat in the Senate, then the Jawa <laughs> can get a seat in the
3: Senate, too. The second, <laughs> he, said, he, the second he said the Qui-Gon line, it just instantly yep. hit my mind with a Jar Jar voice, and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, we're going into <laughs> this. <laughs> Jar, but Jar. I can spec. Oh,
0: Jar, Jar. <laughs> For the longest time, Jar Jar Binks was my sister's favorite character. Just because no, no, no. he was like goofy, silly, and stupid, he's the best. Sorry to anybody out there who was a Jar Jar Rings fan. Oh, Annie, I missed you. <laughs> oh my gosh! We said take it a bongo. He does always? Oh my! He always does make me smile, though. I do love, like as much as Jar Jar frustrates me. I I do always smile and laugh and roll my eyes when Jar Jar's on screen. But back to the Mandalorian. Uh, I think that covers. We're going to talk about that later. Episode three. Uh, I was going to say, let's move on to episode three. Episode three is called The Sin. And I was heartbroken. The na- The episode earns its name because The Sin is that he does deliver the bounty. He delivers the child to the client. And that scene where that little pod is just floating into the room and the, the child, Baby Yoda, is looking back at Mando and he's like holding his hand out like, don't leave me you can and the, cry. And, the, and the cry and see here's the thing about mando he's got a helmet on for 99 of the show but even in the music the body language the tilt of his head there's so much expression and that must have been such a hard thing to convey because the character himself cannot give expression because he he, he he's he got a, this he's got this helmet on that totally blocks his face. You can't see his face, but voice inflection. And, and you can just hear and see the conflict of him having to deliver this bounty. And you can't even see his face. It was so it just it got me. And I was like, wow, you can't even see his face. And this is hard to watch. Same. And
1: especially since afterward, he turns to him and he, the um Vernon's character, forgive me, I, his name keeps escaping me, the client, he turns to him and he's like, what are they going to do with him? And he, the client's like, oh, well, you know, isn't it part of your creed? The job is done. You must forget it. And he hands them this whole. um Oh, interesting tidbit. It's very important to mention. Okay. For my hardcore Star Wars fans, Wilro Hood, the Beskar steel reward was put in the little ice cream machine looking thing and it was glorious. Just had to put that in there. But anyway, yes, he gets a full ice cream tub worth of Beskar steel, which he brings to the armor and is able to get a full caress um cauldron and a whole new set of armor, which is a sign of prestige. He makes his way Back to give me um grief, Karga, to get a new bounty somewhere far away. You can tell he's feeling pretty guilty, and you know he takes the bounty, the fob, makes it back to his ship. He's ready to take off, and you see him pause. And like you said, Maria, so well, it's just that stillness in his actions. He turns off the ship and makes his way back to find the child again. And just like I love it, it's so well done.
0: So before we cool. jump in, can one of you three, for the folks out there who might not know what Kelly's excitement was, can you please explain the ice cream?
3: Okay, so um, container in uh, was that Empire? Um, Empire.
1: I think it was Empire. I think it was yeah. Empire. Yeah, yeah.
3: It, so in Empire, uh, Empire, when Bespin is being attacked by the Empire, <laughs> uh, when they're all rushing around, and you see a bunch of civilians running. Uh, there is an extra in the back that is holding this ice cream maker, and he's just running (laughs) along with it as if he's evacuating with it, and they just wanted to look at it like some piece of technology. But it's clearly just an ice cream maker. Um, The fans got so into this that um, there was actually a small line of toys about this one character holding an ice cream maker that was made. Um, So this was a subtle nod back to that, saying, hey... We remember our roots. Here's an ice cream maker.
0: There's whole like, celebrations and runs where people dress up and run with ice these- cream. It's like the guy that always gets referenced during the pterodactyl attack in Jurassic World with yeah. the margaritas. The dude that yeah. runs with the margaritas. That's yeah, Jimmy that. Buffett. <laughs> <laughs> but still, yeah, that is so James that, Buffett. that's kind of what the Yes, it is Jimmy Buffett. I'm not to make another Jurassic World reference for some reason. I, I've got um oh who's the composer? Who's the composer that? John John Williams. Is it John Williams? Mm-hmm that did both of them. Yeah, I've got John yep. Williams on the brain, apparently, because I keep drawing comparisons between gotcha. Star Wars and gotcha. Jurassic Park. Uh, but yes, so let's keep it going. Does anybody else want to talk about season three? I mean uh, season three, episode three.
3: Um <laughs>
2: <laughs> um this one was probably one of my favorite episodes of the entire series. Um, that one scene, it, it it conflicts with his code of honor, right? Because he, the job's done. He's honored his commitment to his client. And he already kind of breaks that by asking, what are you going to do with him? Because that's not part of the, that's not even part of the bounty hunter guild's code of conduct. That's none of your business. What the client is doing with that bounty—that's none of your concern. But not only that, and this kid's revealed later. So I'm going to jump ahead real quick because um, he feels that connection because they're both orphans of war, right? The child is an orphan. Uh, is the last orphan of the Clone Wars. They're both orphans of the Clone Wars, right? So. Because think about it, the child be- beforehand, wherever the child was, the child's parents
0: I mean, the child's 50 fans. years old.
2: Yeah. Right. So he's around during the Clone Wars, but, the, conspir- but the, the theory is that Yoda and Yada, and you can look that up later, um, this is their child, and both the parents are dead, respectively. Mm-hmm. So that makes the child an orphan of war. The Mando is an orphan of war. See, and By?
3: There, there is spy there's the whole thing where, you know, by episode two, Yaddle just goes completely missing for no reason, and there's no lore saying why she's just not there anymore. She was so on the Jedi Council in the first, and then by the second she's just gone.
2: So there's this huge connection for him, and he has, and you know the Mandalor, and also like the Mandalorians busted balls about this too. When you know he goes back down to the sewer, they're like, "Do you feel good about this?" Like, and they're egging him on. They try and get, to convey that emotion that one not every Mandalorian has forgotten the purge of Mandalore, which that's Rebels and Clone Wars thing. So we're not going to discuss that on this episode. Um, But there's that, and the Mandalorians recognize that the Man- Mandalore see the child, and it's honored to guide and protect him. And he turned him in for that money, even though so it's a confliction of ideals and ethics. This episode of The Mandalorian is the most I I feel is the most important of the series, and it's one of my favorites because you see, you can see the conflict in The Mandalorian. The child Possibly is an orphan of war. The Mandalorian's also an orphan of war, and that gets revealed later through flashback. So there's that connection, there's that personal connection between the, Mandal- the Mandalorian and the child, but there's also a conflict of honor. He's honored to his client to hold up his end of the bounty contract, but he's also honored to protect the child at all costs. And even the Mandalorian's in the sewer, has haven't forgotten about the purge of Mandalore, which we won't get to here. If that's a huge other topic, um,
1: I I think really quick to just add to that because they noticed that the reward he got the Besker steel had the um the, the sigil of the yeah
2: the Imperial cog on it. Um. So, and he doesn't feel good about this at all, especially when he reflects when the armorer is asking what the sigil should be what beast he killed he's like well i couldn't do it without the child the child saved his life in episode in episode two so he can't take this honor this honor isn't his alone it's the child's honor too so that's what seals to deal with i need to rescue him i need to get him back because he is me and i am him but we share battles together and we share honor together and that's I think that might be lost a little bit, but when you under like but when you understand the Mandalorian creed and culture, even in legends, that's what makes this more impactful, I think. And Derek, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that's what made this episode beautiful and whoever directed it did a fantastic job.
1: Cheers. I absolutely agree, and especially because this is the first time where we hear this is the way. And just as well as they busted him up at the end of the episode, they all come out of the woodwork to help him, and that was so so beautifully filmed. I'm
0: glad you brought that up. I think that was one of my favorite parts of this whole episode was that whole part where they all helped him, you know, d- deter what was going on so he could get out of there. That was a great scene visually.
2: Honor to the clan. We're all part of the Mm -hmm. plan on to
1: the plan.
0: This is the way. This is the the way. way. All right. So if we're done, we're going to head on to episode four, which episode four is called the sanctuary. And I'm not going to lie. The beginning of this episode for me, I was a little, I know they're all looking at me. You can't see it. I was a little bored at the beginning of this episode. I did get into it as we start getting into the village and things start unfolding. I did get very into it.
3: So, with episode four, uh, we immediately have a tie-in to other Star Wars content. Um, We have a loth cat. I caught that. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was really, really cool that that was in there. That was Um, a
0: huge nod to Rebels.
3: But the entire episode is just a nod to Seven Samurai. That's that's mm-hmm. all... It, it, and this isn't the first time we even had that. Uh, there was a Clone Wars episode where um, I believe it was Anakin, Rex, and Ahsoka go and uh, train a bunch of farmers to uh, deal with some uh, of the pirates led by Hondo. Um, One it's of the, the same,
0: best Clone Wars episodes.
3: <laughs> it, it's It's the same... Type of thing of you know it's it's the martially trained people h- helping the the local peasants revolt against someone who's attacking them and it's such a good trope and I think they played it very well.
0: Marquis de Lafayette, <laughs> sorry, excuse me, <laughs> my other history vibes coming out there. Anyway, keep going. Um,
2: what I really liked about this is in. And- uh, this is actually the first Lego set that uh, me and Laura worked on together, uh, besides the Harry Potter one, was actually the ATST. And this what makes this a flashback is because that ATST sh- is the scars of war from the Civil War. But not only that, how this technology that the Empire's created isn't gone because the Empire's gone. There's still pieces of it everywhere. And now it's just in criminal hands being used to further inflict the wounds of the empire is now when these people see that they're like that's the empire the empire is still here and the empire is still around
1: absolutely and i think one of the things about this episode too is um i really like how they take a moment and after this whole scene with the battle sequence and everything, they kind of hint that it's been a few weeks since the battle, and that's when uh, Mando feels it's time to move on. And he has a moment where he's talking to Kara, and she's like, oh, you know, you can, you know, hang this up, have a relationship with that beautiful young widow, look at the kid, he's thriving here, and you can do this and do that. And it's just, it's, it was very interesting because you get another like great insight into his character and like his beliefs and how he, he just doesn't feel like he's deserving of it. He's hesitant to do it. And he's still, he's just so strongly into like this must remain on. And you get a little bit more of his backstory. I believe there's another flashback as well where you see this deep rooted trauma that he faced as a child when his whole world was torn apart with. The death of his parents and the complete annihilation of his village until, you know, the other Mandalorians came and saved him.
3: Uh, there was the scene right before that that um, he thought he might stay, uh, or at least That's have true. the kids stay. Um, and then the assassin came and nearly shot maybe Yoda, and that was uh, that was a lot. <laughs>
0: I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the things I was going to lead into that. That's one of those scenes. This show did, did a really great job of showing the vulnerability of the child because there were so many times that the child was put into peril and the Mando just completely saved him. But that moment, because that moment, where the kids are all playing with the child and i was like oh look how cute and i was kind of following the same mental thought process that mando was i'm like oh maybe the child could stay here and he would have a great life he'd be around people that cared about him and then like derek said the assassin just came in and totally destroyed that thought process why we
1: can't have nice things. things
0: yes i even said that to myself uh, he, he totally shows that no matter what, the child is not safe unless he's really with Mando. So do we have anything else to say about episode four? Or are we going to jump into episode five? Oh, go ahead, Dave. Oh, no, I think Dave is signaling for five. <laughs> All right. Number five is alive. So episode five, The Gunslinger. Uh, I really liked this episode. It was a little bit of a shift, and it kind of shifted away. From that child focused story that we had been having up till this point. And this kind of gets into a more action, back to that Western bounty hunter theme. I mean, it- Ming Na Wen guest stars. Yes, I did catch that. Ming Na Wen, those Disney fans out there, uh, Ming Na, excuse me, Ming Na Wen is the original voice of Mulan in the animated movie of Mulan.
3: Uh, she Ooh. also plays uh, a very important role in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.
0: Yes, thank you. That. Yeah. I was coming with that one next. Yeah. Yes, thank
3: you. Um, so this episode starts off extremely, extremely scary where um, – Mando is getting sh- nearly shot down in the middle of space uh, by someone who's trying to check, uh, track the child. He outmaneuvers them and shoots them down, but he needs to make repairs, and the closest planet and spaceport is, of course, Moss Isley Spaceport. Uh, so we're back on Tatooine, um, and we meet a uh, very lovely mechanic, as well as <laughs> some—I um, some pit droids. And it got me thinking. Those
2: things are adorable.
3: It got me thinking because technically,
2: those could be Wattos.
0: Absolutely.
3: He, he was in the I, middle of Moss Isley. He was in the middle of Moss Island, but those, those boys that she has are heavily sure. rusted, which means they could have some years on them. Meaning that that could be the same ones that Anakin had to, you know, put together and take apart from now and again. Which just makes you just oh, the world's all connected.
2: What a throwback. If that if that's true, what a throwback to the original to the to the prequels and oh I could go. On. I thought about that too when
0: I when I saw that. I that was one of the first things that kind of jumped to my head, especially being so focused on the prequels. Like I am, I was like, oh, I, I think Derek and I had. Well, no, I think I know we had the same thought. Uh, yes. Um, so he lands in Moss Isley. Uh, he leaves the child with the. Well, he leaves the child in the ship, and then the <laughs> uh, the. Uh, Mechanic. I think I could think of the word. Mechanic. She finds the child eventually, but... Uh, he, finds Mando, her. <laughs> he, find, he finds her. True. He finds her. Uh, Mando heads over to the cantina, and he ends up hooking up with a bounty hunter.
3: Uh, who is conveniently sitting in the same seat that Han Solo did.
0: Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't even hmm. pick up on that. Uh-huh. Yep. Same position almost, too, that Han sits in. That that cocky
3: kind of arm leaned up. Oh, yeah, he he has... It is very, very similar. But there is one big difference. I don't know if you caught it. In the bar, did did you notice the bartender? The bartender is a droid. Um,
0: Yeah, I did catch that.
3: The one big thing of the Mos Eisley Cantina before. No droids. We don't serve no your kind here. Mm-hmm. They got him in the end. Yeah. They
0: got him in the end. I, see? See what happens? 50 years? Give or it, it's less than 50 years, but give or take a couple of years. But yeah, so he, he hooks up with this bounty hunter who is going after a very big uh, bounty. He, he it, recruits the Mando to help him with the job. And I cannot remember the bounty's name, but I know one of you will. Enic, I think. There you go. See, thank you. Uh, this episode really is about this whole bounty chase. They they go out, they look for this bounty. They end up finding the bounty. They catch the bounty. One of the they were riding on. What were they? Those I forget the name of those creatures. But Derek wants to jump in. They <laughs> like, move up, alert. burn it. Uh, Two backs. Thank you.
3: Uh, well, they first bugs? they first started off on speeder bikes.
0: Yeah, that was it. So they started they on speeder bikes.
3: Uh, where they encountered some Tusken Raiders.
0: Yes, and then we have even more
3: lore because up until this point, there was like talk about like how the relations between Tuskins and others, but there's some kind of sign language that Mando does to communicate with them, and he has a peaceful trade with the Tuskins. And they mm-hmm. let him go past. So there's yeah. there's some kind of way that you can actually talk to Tuscans. It just seems that the moisture farmers of Tatooine are racists. <laughs> oh boy.
0: Uh, I'm gonna leave that there. Um, uh, I'm gonna leave that there. Uh yes, that it that I can't believe I forgot that until you brought that up. Yes, he, he's able to get past the Tuscans. Uh they find the bounty. Um One of the speed, so they come back, they only have one speeder bike. So Mando leaves the bounty and the bounty hunter, and he goes off to find another ride. The bounty hunter ends up killing the bounty when he finds out who Mando is and what he's hiding, that he's hiding the child, and that that's a bigger bounty. So he kills the bounty that they caught and sets off to kill Mando and capture the child, but he ultimately fails.
1: I'd like to point no, out, though, too, there's that one scene at the end that kind of makes it suggest that she might be alive because you see them walk up to her body and you never hear more mm-hmm. about it. So season two, I want to see the queen that is Ming-Na Wen, Agent May mm-hmm. slash Mulan, I want to see her.
2: Oh. Agreed. It, it would be interesting because the reason why she's on the Bounty is because she was, a hit. she was an assassin for the Hut cartel, mm-hmm. one. Two, who was Boba Fett's last employer? The Hut Cartel. Hutt. So if Pet well, Java's dead, but if he's still employed oh, yeah. by the cartel, he may actually be looking for her to bring her back into the fold alive, if mm. possible, or or wanting to make an example out of her their own way. So if someone deprived him of his bounty, oh. he's going mm. hunting
3: for that person. So That's I will say for the for, for the people who are not very like super deep into star Wars lore. Uh, there is a large amount of controversy over Boba Fett as is he still, is he dead after the Sarlacc or did he crawl out? Cause in some, some, uh, types of lore, he had already escaped. Um, so that is what, uh, Dave is referring to right now, that there might be a chance that we had actually even seen, uh, Boba Fett in that scene where he was walking up because, um, the distinct uh, sound of um, I'm trying to think of the little things that uh spurs, the cowboy Spurs, aspers? Spurs. That that is distinct yeah. to Boba Fett. There, anytime he moves, he has that noise, and there's like a little bit of radio static that always accompanies him too. And that was both present, so it's unsure of who that was. Um, there, there are rumors that it was just Gideon following, but on the other hand, who knows? It could have been oh, both that be so cool. But we'll talk more about that in um, the, the, the I... hopes for next season. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That's pretty much everything I have for this episode. I don't know if anyone else does. I think that's it. Okay, then that means episode Our... six.
0: The Prisoner. The prisoner. Look at that. We're always on the same wavelength. <laughs> the Prisoner. I... I think this is one of the best episodes. I think I think six, seven, and eight really sealed the deal for me on how much I liked this show because from here on out, I was completely invested. I was never bored, and this was this was where it got really good. Not not that it wasn't already good because again, we we move away from so- that child centric aspect and we get a lot more action and bounty hunting.
2: This is one of my favorites because this highlights how versatile having five directors on. So, this is a very horror, horror filled, dread filled episode. And not for, and it, oh, some of it is the child because you see all these elements working against both of them, the child and the Mandalorian. But one, you see that together, they're an unstoppable force. But two, um, no matter... The Mandalorian is not just a gunslinger. He's he's quick on his toes. Um And that's what makes the Mandalorians um, the feared rivals of the Jedi besides the Sith. Which, that's a whole other episode. Um, but this was just awesome. Um, one of my favorite Sons of Anarchy characters is actually in this episode. And he brings the same exact same exact wit um, that he always does that Cruel, like sarcastic style, but this episode dives deeper into how the Mandalorian will do anything to survive from working with criminal gangs to make to bring money home to the clan to bring them honor. Um, but that comes up against him, and this gang is also the gang that makes him turn from disintegrating everyone to bringing people
0: back in alive to that. I, I liked how at one point you see him become a negotiator when they storm that room and there's that one guy working on the Voice actor of Anakin.
1: That
3: is Matt Lantern.
0: Yeah. Yep, voice actor of Anakin Skywalker from the Clone Wars. And he... I, I like how the Mando... Everybody's pointing guns and everybody's ready to kill this guy. And the last thing mm. I expected the Mandalorian to do was start negotiating. But like you said, Dave, it shows... It shows versatility in directors, but it also shows versatility in the Mandalorian character himself, where he's versatile. He's on his toes. He assesses the situation quickly and realizes that if he doesn't have to kill this guy, he's going to try not to.
3: There there was also one little thing that I did want to mention because it was a very funny moment, but also a very confusing moment because it made me start thinking and up until, I believe, the last episode, uh, I didn't know. Um, so, there was the scene where they're all inside the ship um, on their way to the job. And uh, the gentleman that uh, Dave already mentioned, um, the the ex-Imperial with all of the training, um, he he asks Mando why he never opens his helmet. And is it because you saw a Gungan? And it started me thinking, okay, yeah, that would just be a joke. But, like, what if? (laughs) Because up until that point, we had never seen his face. And I wasn't thinking they would go as far as Gungan, but, I mean, they could have gone Rodian, Twi'lek, anything, and we wouldn't know until the second you opened that helmet.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, do you remember in the documentary they talked about making Carl an alien at mm. first? For so that would have been a real interesting throw
3: if <laughs> they
2: really just made, instead of making Carl an the alien, they made a
3: Mandalorian just a Gungan. Just straight up Gungan. I mean. That would have been. <laughs> I I'm just saying. I'm throwing my uh, my ticket in there for Mandalorian Gungan. Sure
0: turn over the child Ooh. oh no.
3: <laughs> no, right. no you're going too
0: mouse i can't i can't i can't process that a mandalorian gungan so we're I think uh, we're, we're, just we're moving to episode home. 7 <laughs> episode yeah seven. Uh, so we don't so actually before we go to episode 7 i i want to bring up something in uh wait are we on episode 7 yeah. oh no we are on episode 6 um there are only 8 episodes for some reason i thought there were 9 but um I like how, so, and the droid stays on the ship, and eventually the droid figures out that the child is on the ship, and I really liked how you had that, like, for lack of a better term, that game of hide-and-seek between the child and the droid. Uh, I I really found that kind of fun. I love the part at the end where he goes to, like, like shoot the laser back at him, and Mm -hmm. he thinks he does it, and
1: he looks at his hand like, but then
0: it's Mando. Mando, yep, and that just goes yeah, to show sure, that yeah. it's that it's that that hero always there to save the day. They have a bond type thing, but um, yeah, I just I loved that. I loved that little <laughs> hide and seek aspect because again, it it shows the child and the child's level of. Want to say functioning, but his level of comprehension because he does look like a baby, but he is 50 years old, and that's something I have to constantly tell myself is that yeah, this being this being is 50 years old. True that
1: he's a ham. Yeah. He loves the attention too. You
0: saw him with the kids, he's <laughs> he deserves it, he deserves it. <sighs> All right, so episode seven is the reckoning, and at this point, uh Mando has received a transmission because the droid that was flying their ship in the last episode started fiddling with his uh, thingy. I can't, I don't know what that's called. What is it called, guys? Communicator. Transponder. Thank you. Thank you. Communicator, Transponder. And uh, he gets a transmission from the guild director. um, I keep forgetting his name as well. Me too. Grief. Even though I love him. Yeah, Yeah. me too. I keep forgetting his name, Grief Karga. Uh, He gets a transmission in saying that, hey, listen, come back. Come back, bring the child, and we'll work something out. We'll let you back in the guild. Mando goes, but he's not stupid enough to realize this isn't a trap. He picks up some people along the way. He picks up Cara Dune. He picks up Queel. And Queel has now reprogrammed the IG-11 droid that was originally sent to kill the child in the first episode with Mando. He has now programmed him to be a nurse droid. And this is probably the best nurse droid I've ever seen. Uh,
3: soon after. Uh, comes a very uh, very shocking um, scene where uh, Mando and Kara are having an arm wrestling match inside the ship. Um, and the child doesn't really understand. Um, so he decides to start force choking her. Um, which we, we see the, the true power of this small little being because she is nearly killed Because he doesn't understand the difference between, you know, enemy and, you know, just friendly competition. Um, There's a bunch of different Force powers that are shown in this episode. I'm going to talk more about that in a little bit. But um, if anyone has anything in between.
2: Well, I mean, it it kind of goes to show that, like the Mandalorian, he's bred by the conflicts around him. All he knows from... The very first episode is nothing but con- whenever he's around, there's always conflict. It's not, and he, has, he doesn't comprehend that there are people who want to harm him. It's just he thinks this is how life is. And when someone is being the aggressor, especially to someone who's protected, he views the Mandalorian as that guardian father figure, right? And so he, he is the Obi Wan to Luke Skywalker. So he views um him as Obi-Wan, this this idol, this this be, this high being. And he Mandalorians losing in this arm wrestling contest. And he was like, in the child like, I need to protect him at all costs. And that's when the force choke happens. So I think it's just the child probably meant it as I need to protect him. He's protected me all this time. I need to do it back. Yeah. But he redeems but-, but he redeemed himself.
0: Later in the episode. Yes. Yeah,
3: so um yes. as they land before
0: oh. oh, I was just I was just gonna make a joke. I was gonna say you were – a hundred well, two things. Something serious, which it goes to show the thought, like again, the intellect of the child. You you it's he's so small and he's not expressive, but again, that comprehension, like Dave said, I need to protect him, he's protected me, we're a team. But also, you refer to Obi-Wan as an idol, which is the absolute most correct way to describe Obi-Wan. So, yes. Now, I keep going, Dave. Thank you. I'm Derek. I'm sorry. I did it. I was, for- oh my I was waiting for it to happen in yeah, this episode. So for for it, all of yeah. you out there, I have known these two guys for years. And because both of their names begin with Ds, I look at Derek, and I call him Dave, and I look at Dave, and I call him Derek. And they look nothing alike. <laughs> That's just my squirrel brain in action. It's fine. Um,
2: it's fine. We got the beard. We got the beard. The only real difference, I, yeah. Is, yeah, yeah, but, but your, your beard, beard is no much back bigger back. than
0: Derek's. Hey! <laughs> it, but, it, right. Don't worry, <laughs> they're both majestic.
3: Yeah, they're both majestic. Okay. I'm moving on. Whatever, Please, I guess Derek. I'll move on. So, uh, the, 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 the pack lands back um, on Navarro. Um, and they go and meet with grief, uh, and they're going to go and bring the, uh, child with them, uh, because they, they, they believe that this is going to be the, we're going to settle this once and for all. Um, but during the middle of the night when they're camping, uh, they are attacked uh, there is some flying beasts that have some sort of poison or something. There, there there was, like, some real, real messed up stuff. Like, a guy gets carried away. Um, Did
0: we know what those things were? I, because I was literally, I was like, what are those I things? don't
3: think so. Um, I think they were just native to the, to the planet. Um, but uh, grief gets hurt pretty bad. Um, and then we see, for the first time... On a live-action screen, little baby, little little child just uses Force Heal. It, it's it's been talked about. It's been used in a bunch of different um video games. This is the first time Rise we're of actually Skywalker. Seeing it. Yeah. Well, this would Rise of Skywalker was after. Well that's true.
0: That's right. It was technically wow. after, yeah. but yeah,
3: because it came out like a couple months like a month or so after this but this was the first time we got to see some kind of healing power used by the force on live screen so it was very interesting because I, I didn't know they were going to go that route but I'm very glad they did um
2: Anakin Skywalker's ghost look as looking down, like, am my joke to you. Well you
1: see the, even episode one, he was trying to do it back then, but you know well, Mando just put him back in the little crib. You could see him walk into him and he was trying to
3: See. The the thing is with, with the whole Anakin Skywalker thing, um he he she was never in danger. She was never going to die. It was the fact that she drained her life force.
2: To save Anakin.
3: That's what caused her to die. As far as I'm aware.
2: Yeah, I I I, Yeah. I was just trying to make a mean joke and it just it it
3: Um, backfired.
0: You all good. It's us, it's us digging deep. Totally. Uh
3: that but yes. Then then uh the crew are about to set off when yeah, Gri just shoots both in the gut and we're just sitting there like, What the heck just happened? Um turns out he can't turn in like the child cuz now he feels guilty he's like yeah we were totally going to betray you i got like an entire legion of stormtroopers up there you know oops, only four my bad no, yeah <laughs> which
0: character development because like we said we we figured and mando figured that it was a trap but character development that he he ends up not being able to go through with it because the child mm-hmm. saved him Maybe Yoda just enchants everybody that meets him. True that.
3: Uh, so they still do end up going, but they do have uh, Queel uh, carry the child back on one of his blurg back to town. Um, well, now back to the ship. So they send him off as they go, um, and they they're trying to spring the trap uh but with a false uh little thing with the pod still there but it's empty and it's closed um so they get all the way all the way over to talk to the client and they start discussing with him and he says the line that i love which it's just i want to see the baby <laughs> show me the baby <laughs> and i'm like oh yeah yeah me, me very, too very Schwarzenegger like of you <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was great love it. um And it's about that time that he gets a nice little ring on his phone. So he says, hey, hold up. I'm going to go see who it is. Hits the little uh, holocom thing. And a nice little hologram of a a man who previously owned a very fine chicken business. Kind of just sits there looking pretty angry. Doesn't look too happy. Um, pretty annoyed and it seems that he knew that uh, the client got completely bamboozled and before you know it a bunch of laser fire comes in through the window killing the client and all of the stormtroopers inside uh, and nearly killing our main heroes but they duck behind a table first and it pans out to see a row of death troopers uh, which are quite rare in the, uh, lore. Um, and then closely followed behind, I believe he lands his tie fighter in oh. a new way that we've never seen where the wings fold. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and there is a moth of the Imperial remnant, uh, which is very, very awesome. I'm very glad they are still doing Imperial remnant stuff. Um, so moth Gideon, uh, the lore on him, he used to be Imperial Security Bureau. Uh, He was pretty much the de facto person behind the Great Mandalorian Purge, uh, which Mm. has nothing to do with... I don't... At at the moment, we don't know if it has anything to do with um, Mando himself, um, because uh, one big thing that we haven't mentioned is the people who rescued him were not mandalorian mandalorians they were not from mandalore that was the death watch oh if you look at the armor i didn't realize that if you look at the armor it's the it's the death watch so he might have been taking back to uh concordia um rather than mandalore um which has a whole different thing um but then there's also societies like concord dawn which is a completely different planet that still ha- hosts a lot of Mandalorian society, but has nothing to do with the planet. Um
0: This is why we have you on the show right now. Gotcha. I had no I did never even thought of that. <laughs> I was like I was like, oh, that's great. Like look at the tie-in, the Mandalorian saved him. This is why he would be <clears throat> so honorable to the code and you know, uphold it. <clears throat> but okay.
3: No, I mean, <laughs> if if you look at it, the Death Watch are the most Mandalorian of them all. This is true. They were the ones yep, that upheld the warrior society. That's why he's still in this little sect. So it's likely that the people that are there are remnants of former Death Watch. Hmm. All
0: right.
3: Could be. All right. That's just a theory, Let's keep <laughs> this
0: rolling. No, I Hey, I'll, I'll take it. But I'm glad we said that this was going to be a short episode. So, yeah. So let's keep this rolling. Um, so Take it away, please.
1: So we see Gideon, and I love how he rises out of <laughs> um, He rises up, he makes his speech. Turns out he gives them until the sun sets to surrender and hand over the child. Um, they try to, they figure, oh, you know, there's a sewer system leading to the different um, tunnel systems that the Mandalorians have under the city. However, they can't get the grade up. And when, um, and, then you we kind of I believe he's trying to get in contact with Queel and he's like, Queel, are you back to the ship yet? However, his transmission, um, two troopers pick up on it and they immediately go after and it kind of goes back and forth and it's very stressful. And like I said, I liked Queel. I knew this was gonna happen and as soon as he stopped responding, and then you just see him, Queel has been killed. The child was on the ground. I was not happy about that. I was very stressed out that he would be concussed or some other thing. He was OK, but he was picked up by the two troopers as they zoom
0: back to their boss. And then we get to the last episode in this season. My episode favorite. 8. I think this is obvious. Yeah, the best episode. Uh, episode 8, <laughs> Redemption. <laughs>
3: And how can we not start by talking about those two scout troopers? Cause my God, they go and pick up baby Yoda, zoom back to the outskirts of the city, and then they just start just talking like normal human breeze. beings. They're just like having some It's water the most stormtrooper chat.
0: thing I've ever seen in Star Wars. It is just it's your average like thing.
3: blue-collar dudes just chilling out, and it is the funniest thing when they take out the pistols and try to shoot the little thing on the ground and miss so much shaking the the, the pistol yep. thinking that, eh, maybe this is not working uh honestly, that was one of the best scenes in there, just I just understood. the banter it was so good.
0: I understood that reference
3: <laughs> definitely definitely um, I
0: think though
1: the my favorite favorite part of this episode is what comes next with our boy um oh my god i can't believe it. his name escapes me all with ig11 right mm-hmm. yeah ig11 comes in and when they refuse to surrender the child to him he takes them out in the most badass way picks up the child turns the cruiser around and he zooms back to town and mando's talking to him and he's like quill quill where are you and he Mm -hmm. tells him about how he dies and you can see mando his distrust his wall immediately goes up and he's like i'm reverting back to my original program and mando immediately you can tell he's like oh he's gonna kill the kid but he's like no to nurse and protect and that from then to the end of the episode is
0: my favorite the cinematography of that scene, yes. with the, with the whole battle with IGA on the, I'm, I'm sorry, IG Eleven on that speeder bike. But what a testament to Quill that he was, that his his reprogramming of IG Eleven sticks, because that was one of the big things that we didn't talk about in Episode Seven. Was Mando has an extreme distrust of droids, and Quill kept explicitly stating, you know, I I've reprogrammed him, I've trained him. He will not turn, and, you know, he was right. He really did a great job reprogramming that droid.
3: Yeah, the the big distrust from droids, um, I was just going to talk about this, um, it, it does come directly from point. that whole thing of getting rescued from the Death Watch from the Confederacy of Independent Systems with super battle <laughs> droids and uh, Hellfire droids uh, firing down on his... Uh, little uh area so there was some kind of incursion on whatever place that he was living and the death watch for some reason was attacking uh making sure that it did not get taken over by the confederacy of independent systems um so he has a deep hatred for droids at this point but um i think by the end of this episode ig 11 kind of breaks down that barrier mm-hmm. just a little bit
2: So, fun fact, um, they they kind of they talk about this in the documentary. So that whole battle scene before like they get enclosed in the cantina, when Cara Dune is dragging um, the Mandalorians... Um, so the Mandalorian has three people. They have the voice of the Mandalorian, and this is actually a total Darth Vader moment, and I loved it. So for those of you who didn't know, Darth Vader has three actors. You have the voice of Vader, you have the sword of vader and you have the body of vader so the mandalorian has three actors you have the voice of the mandalorian the martial artist of the mandalorian and then the quick drawer of the mandalorian so beto was actually uh was doing the battle and kara the, the person who plays kara actually dragged him not the stunt double but the actual actress herself she's a strong woman um, by tree, I didn't know that about her. Um, and they were talking. She's like, "Yeah, yeah." She just picked up, Cap- dragged them. Uh, so that was really cool. But this leads into the heartbreak for me, and what happens afterwards. So the Mandalorian takes off his helmet after sustaining heavy wounds, but he's not in the presence of any living thing but a droid. A droid is not technically living um so he the droid takes off the helmet and reminds him that you can't take off your helmet from another living creature but as you said droids aren't living so there's no conflict here um so he takes the helmet off and this is when we see Mandalorian's face this is how we know he's not a gun game that he's an actual human being. um so he gets he gets healed up physically but the emotional drain is about to take place because the Mandalorian doesn't know this, but every Mandalorian that stood by him, his whole plan has been worked out. The only person left is the armorer. So they get down the sewers and he's trying to radio for his comrades so that way they can help him escape. And he comes to the sewer in this all this armor, all this best car. And every one of them died after the final battle that let him escape. So there's that that tension that wound there that he feels. And that was a heartbreak moment for me i don't know if it was for anyone else but i i think i paused it and kind of like started crying a little bit because this is how the mandalorians go out in every in every lore every canon this is how they go out
1: i like though too how despite all that the armorer is still there and she's still at her post and she's like he's like come with us and she's like i am not leaving till every piece of baskar is like restored and scavenged as much as I can, because it's such an important part of their culture.
0: And it's just like this woman, she's- Again, it's a testament to how the people who are Mandalorians and live by the Mandalorian Creed, it's something that they hold so deeply within them. Like you said, Kelly, this woman is not abandoning her post. And I even said to myself, I was like, wow. I I who don't know much about Star Wars, I even said, I was like, wow. Mandalorian creed really goes to the bone.
2: Definitely. And I, don't, I think she doesn't want that falling into the Empire's hands again, though. That's the second part. The Empire that's has, what I was thinking. The Empire brought nothing but pain and sorrow to the Mandalorian clans. And that, not just from this age, but since even with the Old Republic, the, the Sith would contract out that work to be to the Mandalorians. So, since the dawn of time, the Mandalorians have been used and abused by the Sith and the Empire for their military gains. And this is this is their act of defiance. This is her act of defiance against the Empire. It's, no, this is my art. this is the armor of my people, and you're not having any of it. For the no,
3: um, <laughs> I, I,
1: they are welcomed and perfect.
3: Uh so then um the armorer discusses about the the child um, and gives the Mandalorian a new uh, clan um, sigil. Signet. Yep, signet, Mm. um, which would be the Mudhorn that they both defeated together um, and had told uh, the Mandalorian about uh, a race of (laughs) sorcerers uh that Mandalore the Great had fought with. Um in lore right now we don't have a Mandalore the Great, so they might be adapting one of the older Mandalores like thing. Um might be Mandalore the Ultimate, uh who was uh the one from Kotor, uh Knights of the Old Republic. Um might be him, might be further back. Uh not sure, but um so uh, says Mandalore the Great uh, fought with these uh, race of uh, sorcerers and uh, that he needs to go and find these race of sorcerers uh, and deliver the child to him. And that's pretty much going to be the premise of season two, I'm assuming at least. It's looking where it's going. Um, then they head to a nice little lava, I get, lava gondola. <laughs> um
0: yeah uh, the first
3: yeah. big thing that threw me about that was seeing the little like r2 like r2 unit just covered in like rock and i'm like oh buddy how is he gonna operate this and, and then, then it off. stands up oh legs it has is legs that normal? and arms <laughs> i've yeah. it, it's never been shown so okay. an R2 unit with arms and legs and then literally <laughs> just gondola rides them down a river of lava it is the like that was one of the coolest scenes i think yes. um what comes and of next course...
1: though oh, oh. Uh, yeah. i see 11's shining moment So one of my favorite scenes from episode eight, and it's also really heart-wrenching, is the scene with IG-11. They're going down the lava river, and with Mando's helmet, he's able to see that there's a legion of troopers waiting for them at the end of the tunnel. There's no way to get through them. That's the only exit. They realize they have to fight. IG-11 recognizes his new programming to nurse and to protect. He realizes that the only way to protect, for the child to live and for everyone to live as if he dies. He, he uses his secondary programming that you hear of in episode one where I cannot be captured. I must self-destruct. And so there's a moment between Mando and IG-11 and it hits me so hard. And he's like, do not be sad. I have never been alive. And Mando's like, I'm not sad. And he's like, yes, you are. I've analyzed your voice initially. It's just uh and, and it's like you see that character development and how mando went from someone wh- who, because of that childhood trauma from someone who distrusted and truly hated jo- droids to changing his perspective on them and that moment where ig11 just kind of he's like i cannot carry this for you anymore and gives the jet pack over and gives the baby over and i cannot protect the child anymore and then he touches child's ear and then he just he just hops right into the lava and walks to the end of the tunnel and he repeats his phrase you know i cannot be captured i must self-destruct and he saves them and then as they get to the end of the tunnel all seems to be well and then gideon has to ruin it gideon flies in and if someone wants to take over because there's a very exciting part at the end that you guys know more lore about
2: so i love how in, in episode, I think it was three in The Sin. Um, I'll, I'll mention that. Um, in episode three, The Sin, when they're getting away, uh, the Mandalorian's in the atmosphere and the heavy Mando infantry unit is on his jetpack. And the Mando's like, God, I gotta get me one of those. And he ends up getting yes. one. And so there's this awesome aerial scene where the Mandalorian, who has like two minutes of jet time, Just starts flying around, following this Tie Fighter, and is trying to knock it down with Moff Gideon. And this is awesome, like exchange. Like the Tie Fighter, like goes a little bit. Like he figures out a maneuver. It's back and forth between him and Moff Gideon. Um, The Mandalorian ends up uh, knocking down the Tie Fighter, and he thinks that Moff Gideon is dead. So he goes back. So he goes back to check the child. He checks in with Kara, he checks in with um Gre- uh Rita, whatever his name is. Um and You're that's fine. the ending And that's the and, and that's a, their new their the the new quest for the child and for the Mandalorian. What he doesn't know is that Moth Gideon is, is resistant and takes out the dark saber and he opens up the TIE fighter. He's Cuts a hole through it like Qui-Gon did in episode one. <laughs> Yo. And just pushes out the door. And you just see this dark saber. There's no Gideon. It's just the dark saber comes out first. And there's this ominous smoke. It looks like Darth Vader just came out of the battle over, over Scarab. And it's like, bro, he's the
0: baddie. So... You guys, the three of you know me. You know I can be very se- expressive. When <laughs> I just saw that Dark Saber cut through the TIE Fighter, I screamed. I was like, yeah! I was like, what? And I I lost it because from the Clone Wars, I know exactly, oh. Rebels, I know exactly what that is. And I know the significance behind it. And I'm like, he was at the purge of Mandalore. Because Last I saw that thing, Sabine Wren gave it to Lady Bo-Katan. So, I I need answers. Oh, it's
1: painful. It's painful because she wouldn't give what, it up willingly. Actually,
2: but here's the so here's the but here's the weird part though, and this is where like the timeline, at least from my perspective, gets weird. So Sabine gives Lady Bo-Katan the Darksaber, right? And that happens in Rebels, which is towards the end of the Empire.
3: Uh if no. Per- well, uh, does she give it to... at the end of the Empire, or does she give it to her before? I don't remember when,
2: when. I think it's when... Um, because this is when the the clans rise up again. True, yeah, no, the- it
3: was it was towards the end, yeah. It wasn't so, like crazy and but yeah
2: so the purge would have had to happen before that when the is the purge would have had to happen when the system first got conquered when the clone troopers showed up so Lady Wait. Bo-Katan did not have the Darksaber at that point
3: well uh, not necessarily because um, for a while the Mandalorians were working with the Empire I don't know if you remember, um, yep. oh, uh, but they also made that very terrible super weapon that melted anyone that was wearing Beskar steel. Um,
0: That's is that the one that Sabine destroyed at the it's, end it's, of the Rebels? Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, my thought, that... my thought is that someone in the Empire might have rebuilt that machine and just went, you know, buck wild after the empire started falling apart and purged
2: so did so did the mandalorian purge happen after the empire
3: i don't think it happened after like palpatine died but i'm thinking probably probably empire strikes back you know return of the jedi area i don't think it was new hope it was it was definitely after death star 1 but i think it was before death star 2
2: Okay. At least what
3: I think. Actually, let me see if I can look it up.
0: All right. So while Derek's looking that up, does anybody else have anything to add?
1: Mm, I think that was it for episode eight. So do we want to move on to our favorite characters, favorite scenes?
0: Please do. Before we do that, I want to get into season two predictions. And I'll kick us off because... So one of the things I had heard confirmed for season two is, again, not not to spoil a lot of things, but if you've ever seen Clone Wars and you've ever seen Rebels, uh, I apologize if you're in the middle of either of those episodes because this is a major spoiler for that. But uh, I heard confirmed for season two where Sabine and Ahsoka left off at the end of Rebels in the last episode where they were looking for Ezra. I heard both of them are going to be featured in this episode, and I I cannot wait for that. Again, being a big prequel fan, Ahsoka is my second favorite character.
3: Uh, I have seen that it's probably somewhere between 0 BBY and 5 ABY. Uh, B, uh, BBY is before Battle of Yavin. ABY yeah. is after Battle of Yavin. So um around New Hope. So it uh the first <laughs> part of Rebels, like the first like three quarters of Rebels is all New Hope area. It it only it mm-hmm. only transitions like, it, yeah. to the later part. Um but yeah, no, as far as the <laughs> the hopes and dreams for uh the next season, I mean there's a lot of ways this could go. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking,
0: and especially, especially by confirming Sabine and Ahsoka,
3: definitely. that
0: opens it up so much more because of Grand Admiral Thrawn and Ezra. Not
1: only that, that ice planet in the trailer for season two—that looks like the planet from um, Jedi: Fallen Order. You know where they have all the Kyber crystals. I forget the name, but that makes me.
2: Ilum. What is That's it? Ilum. Ilum.
0: I, I love that things from the video new. games and things from the animated series mm-hmm. are becoming canon and that they're starting mm-hmm. to make their way onto the silver and the bigger screen mm-hmm. and it's becoming like full circle canon.
3: Because Ilum was mm-hmm. also shown, uh, shown in uh, Clone Wars. Uh, all the little Jedi apprentices uh, had to go there. I loved
0: that there. episode.
3: I'm hoping. Um, here's Here's my list of things. <laughs> possibly going to see Concord Dawn. Um, that's not the direct Mandalore, because I think we're going to get Mandalore Mandalore later on. But Concord Dawn is that kind of. Um, it's Mandalorian, kind of. Uh, that's where the Fets came from. So all uh, Django and Boba. Um, it's where one of the original Mandalores came from of uh, in the Legends. Um, I'm hoping. Maybe we hear rumor about Skywalker and the new Jedi Temple stuff. Mm -hmm. Maybe we won't see it, but we'll just hear, oh yeah, I heard that there's some weird hokey space wizard out in the middle of nowhere teaching a bunch of kids.
1: That would be cool if it was the very last episode of season two. Like, I could picture just
3: like...
1: little
3: And I'm really hoping that there's maybe a hint that we can go to dantooine uh to see the ruins of the jedi enclave there because there used to be a jedi temple on dantooine and i'm thinking if if mandalore the great is mandalore the ultimate
2: i know where you're going
3: he would have had knowledge that mandalorians would have knowledge about that one jedi temple so if they can go there then that's going to unleash a whole different realm of lore. Um, so Dantooine with the little Jedi enclave—that's that's those are my big things. Um, I mean, there's there's so much that can happen in this next thing. Of course, I want to see if Boba Fett's alive. If Boba Fett's alive, I want to see him appear in all of his greatness. If you know, mm-hmm. if we if we can see more of the uh imperial remnant especially if we can get thrown in there i am definitely on board for that
1: that's I gonna just open want up a din, whole new
0: can of worms
1: i want din to get the sword by the end of season two. i want a mandalorian to have his hand on the dark saber
0: <laughs> either him or sabine i'd like to yes. see it go back to either one of them
3: uh, sabine never really wanted to rule though that's the thing
0: i know i know but i just i loved her from rebels he so. doesn't have to rule. I just want him to like have a good Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I want a good sword fight with the Darksaber with the Mandalorian. I agree, Kelly. Understandable. <sighs> Does anybody else have anything to add to season two wants or predictions?
2: I I'm also hoping for the Fets to come back. I'm hoping we see the Fet clan. I want to see that Boba Fett has risen the clan from, from the actors and started anew. And that he tries to bring the Mandalorian into the fold, adopting him into the clan. Um, I would like to see that, but I also know how Boba Fett feels about Jedi, so if that happens, the child, if that was to take place, the child would have to be in a safe spot. Because either yeah. the Fett clan is going to turn in the child and hold the Mandalorian hostage, which is a real possibility, because Boba Fett Hates, hates, hates Jedi. Um. Mm-hmm. Well, if, you know, if you don't know why, watch back the clones. And you'll see why. Um. <laughs> but I would like to see that. I would really like to see Ahsoka and Sabine, which I think we already seen. I think we've already seen. Sabine. I, I already yeah. think she was in the trailer. Um. And I think she's the the guardian of Ahsoka. So I think right now. Um, she's the guardian. She she's the guardian of the wills, in a sense. In a sense, um, for Ahsoka, and that's the only way that the child, because Ahsoka is the only Jedi that besides Luke that's had dealings with Yoda and his species, that she's going to be the only one that can actually teach him the ways or bring him to the Coruscant Jedi Temple. Dad have him train there or go somewhere else like Lathal. I think they're going to introduce another small planet that does not have screen time. It doesn't have a big name, but they're going to pack a lot of punching into it.
0: Lethal would be a good choice considering the loaf cat nod in the early episode. I, in the earlier episodes, I wouldn't be surprised if you're right because there is a Jedi temple on Lathal, So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Lathal comes back.
2: And Ahsoka has been to that temple, so she knows how to get yes.
0: in there if they're... Oh, so has Sabine. Sabine would also know how to get in there, too. Yeah. So, and then that would explain where Ezra comes in. Oh. So, all right, those are our predictions for season two. Don't at us if we're wrong. Just oh, okay. theorizing. Okay. Yes. I just
1: want to add more Force-sensitives in general. And hey, you know what? I'm just going to say it. You know what? I wouldn't mind if our boy Din was a little... Force sensitive, just a tiny, tiny bit, because I'm still, you know, that first scene. So just wanted
0: to add that. Force sensitive bounty hunter. Okay, favorite characters. Who were, who was your favorite character? We'll start off with our guests. So Dave, who was your first favorite character?
2: The Mandalorian. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a shocked. Sticker. I am a stickler for Mandalorians. That's why I have a Mandalorian tattoo tat on me. Um, And then the child's my second one because Jedi. The third one's Cara Dune, believe it or not. I I really like Cara Dune's character. I like that development. Uh, I think adding in a former Republic shock trooper adds an interesting flavor to the whole storyline. So those are my top three.
0: Thank you, Derek.
3: I'm just gonna say Mandalorian. you know that's that's tried and true
0: all right, Simple enough. I like it. Kelly, <laughs> who is your favorite character or favorite characters? So not
1: to sound like a broken record, but Mandalorian is number one. IG-11 is number two, cause he really did grow on me very fast. And even after episode one, I was like, I was taken aback because I was like, oh crap, I thought they'd do more with him. And they did end up doing more with him. And I, I really appreciated him and how they gave humanity to him, despite him consistently saying, you know, I'm not alive, I was never alive. And then of course, number three, the child.
0: So I'm gonna break the trend Mando is my second favorite character just because uh, I did form an attachment to him quickly. But I I love baby Yoda. I think he is the cutest thing. I'm totally letting my emotional connection of the cuteness guide my decision. (laughs) I, I just, I loved his little facial expressions. I loved the memes. Uh, that's a sentimental first pick, and I love I love Yoda for the longest time. Like I said, Star Wars is such a prevalent thing in our society and culture that I knew characters before I even knew what I was talking about or looking at. But I always thought Yoda was very cool. So before I jumped into the show, I had heard that there was a baby Yoda, so I already had an attachment going in. But uh, Mando and IG-11 would also be my other choices. I, I really liked those two. So yes, so uh, do you have a favorite moment from all overall?
1: Yes, first.
2: Um again, uh, my favorite was probably the moment he goes to go rescue the child. That's my, my favorite moment probably in the entire series.
3: I I definitely have to go with those uh the scout troopers talking, you know, just that like real world like water cooler talk that was the that was <laughs> one of the best scenes
1: oh uh, that was a good one i think i've already showed my hand earlier from the point where he, in episode 8 nurse and protect all the way to the end like that was my that was my favorite that battle scene was so cool
0: this is why we have guests, because Kelly and I are the same person. If this was just me and Kelly, this could be really boring right now. Because like me, that whole speed bike thing with IG-11, where he just comes in and kicks butt, I I was blown away. I did not expect that to happen, and I, I really liked that scene. That or the toss-up, Um, my other choice would be when he meets the child for the first time in that, that E.T. moment of the finger. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, all right. So <laughs> that is the Mandalorian. Um, this is your October episode. We've had such fun talking about the Mandalorian, but you know us, we're Ooh. always a step ahead of the game. So next month for your November episode, Marvel, the Marvel comic universe is on the docket. And up until now, we've kind of done film reviews and show reviews and we don't want to, Kelly and I were talking, and we don't want this show to be just about movie reviews or show reviews. We want to diversify the conversation a little bit. And Marvel is such a big universe. It's arguably as big or – no, it's as big as Star Wars. There's hundreds of ideas you can do. In America, November is the month of Thanksgiving. I love themed episodes. Thanksgiving is an American holiday. So we're gonna be talking about Captain America. Yeah, yeah. Let's see, <laughs> no crickets.
3: Too
0: funny. I oh,
2: mean, too funny. Uh, <laughs> 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 we should, yeah. should really do for the cover art for that epi- for that episode. You have uh, Chris Evans from, from what movie was it with the uh, whipped cream? I don't yeah, know. from American
0: Pie, from American Pie. That might not go with our audience, but you know what? It's I'll, I'll consider it, I'll consider it. Oh, no. But, uh, yeah, so we're not going to cover any Captain America movie Specifically, we want to have a general talk on where Captain America has shown up in the comics and the movie first, why we love him. Kind of like what we did with Mandalorian, where we went into lore and all that. And hopefully our two resident Star Wars guests can turn into our resident Marvel guests because we would love to have them back if scheduling and timing permits. Absolutely. Your people talk to my people.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I'll I'll get on. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can schedule you in, you know.
0: Yes. All right. You know, well, I'll have my, like, like Dave said, I'll have my people talk to you. You know, people.
2: I'm busy with another podcast too that you might've heard about.
0: Yes, you know, I'm actually busy with that podcast, too. I'll have to see if I can schedule this in. But if David and Derek's voice sound familiar, it is because the three of us are on another podcast with our good friend, Lauren. That podcast is called Operation History, where we dive into different historical topics and try to give insight in real historical knowledge, background and education to... Things that you might remember were a certain way, but through our history training as history majors, things are not always what you remember. So, we love history as much as we love pop culture. So, you can catch us on Operation History, and we have ways that you can get in touch with us. Please reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you. We have a Facebook, Twitter, and an email, and I am gonna let my co host, Kelly tell you all about those three things.
1: <laughs>
0: well, if you want us to reach, if yeah, if you want to reach us
1: at our Gmail account, it is It's a Fans World at, oh, excuse me, let me make sure I double check that before I lie. Um, it's a Fans World podcast at gmail.com. Um, I believe our Facebook, you'd be also able to find us the same way by searching It's a Fans World podcast. And our Twitter handle, I believe it's written It's a Fans World P1. And that would be an excellent way to come find us or ask questions or just get a dialogue going if you were interested. We'd be happy to talk to you.
0: Yes, it's also a great way to stay up on new episodes. We post content telling you when there are new episodes available and what we're working on. And like Kelly said, it's a great way to stay in touch with us. Please download, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It helps the algorithm out so much. And the more hype and love we get from you, the better the show does. So please, please, please rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps us a lot. Uh, But, yeah, so that has been your episode of It's a Fan's World. Thank you so much for joining us on The Mandalorian. What do you say, guys? We'll see you real soon.
3: See you around.
0: Bye, Dave. Hi Derek. Hi guys. Thank, you for Thank having you.
3: Me on, guys. Thank you very much.
0: It was our pleasure and like my co-host Kelly said, we will see you real soon. fans world has no association with any of the companies organizations or studios mentioned in this podcast the views and expressions of the hosts and guests are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent any companies or institutions that they currently work at or attend or have previously worked for or previously attended in the past we thank you for listening and tune in next time to join us